Every, I heard like two thank yous and everybody else was like, he's not talking about me. All right, so we are continuing today um, on subjects that we've been working on together for the last couple weeks. We're going to continue on the value of inheritance this morning. Devaluing our inheritance is at the root of our sin, right? Our sin by action and our sin by inaction. By what you do and by what you're not doing. See, most of the time whenever we're talking about sin, you know, some good old preacher will sit here and tell you, you know, this and this and this and this and this and this. We're telling you that your sinful behaviors, your desire to sin comes from you not understanding your inheritance properly that comes from your Abba who is in heaven, your Father who is in heaven. See, there's an inheritance and there's an estate that we talked about last week that differs from our modern concept of inheritance, especially in our Western world. There were a few things that we covered last week that we're going to go back over again even today. When considering our own shortcomings this week, our own foolishness, especially mine, childishness, impurities, and so on, we came to find in even deeper ways just how true his word to us last week was. And that was that men live according to the revelation they have of their inheritance. You live your life today, your decision-making filter, your, your, the filter that you look at the world through comes from your revelation of what your Father in heaven has for you or in your mind does not have for you. So just to put that in, a, in some perspective, if you believe in the deepest parts of your faith, you believe that God is malicious, that he is that he's morbid, that he desires for difficult and wearisome things to just be sitting on your life. He, that, that, that he is playing a game with your life. Then that is how you are going to make your decisions in your life. You, whenever someone proposes a sweet and exciting and joyful thing to you, you're going to say, well, that's not in tune with how I think things usually are. So I'm going to say no to that because I am used to being miserable. I'm used to being depressed. I'm used to being anxious. I'm used to any of these things. Or maybe he's calling you to a difficult thing. But you think that all God wants for you is to sit back on your keister and chill the rest of your life doing nothing. This message is approved by Tex Baker in the back row over here. He is not a man who approves of any sitting on your keister waiting for something to happen. That's a man of action there. But we're telling you, your perspective on inheritance changes everything. We're, we've come as a church out of a perspective of earning your favor with God. But we are coming into a proper perspective of you get to, by the joy of the work of your hands and of the movement of your feet, show your father how you can be trusted with his estate, with his inheritance, with his riches, which first and foremost are the people sitting next to you today. It's your husbands and your wives and your children and your friends and your team and your brothers and your sisters right here in this room. What do you guys think about that? This has personally been a week for me where God's been revealing more sin. 
And you know, I really actually love that because I desire to be whole to you. We're running after your heart this morning because God's running after your heart this morning. We will never understand the value of inheritance until, until we first understand the value of our sonship. The value and what we have entered into, what we have walked into. And over the course of months, we've been discovering those things. So I want to ask you today, how valuable is your sonship to you? How valuable is your relationship to the Father? How valuable are all these things? Because if they truly are valuable, they will begin to show in your actions. Your actions towards moving towards the inheritance. Who then has a revelation of what your inheritance is? Raise your hand. Is it even revealed to you yet? Is the question. More than doctrine, more than theory, do you yet stand with Abba's revelation concerning your inheritance? Is it accompanying you? Do you understand it? Do you walk it out in your daily life? Because if, it, if, if that is so, then it will be evident to all who see you. We will never understand the value of an inheritance until we first understand sonship. Are we getting our sonship right in this place? With that, what has been revealed to you, have you bought into it accordingly? This is a conversation that we're going to begin to have this morning. The concept of buying in. And the last thing I want you to under, uh, think about is money. Buying something typically equates to money. But I'm not talking to you about money today. We're going to talk to you about something different. You have an entire life and an entire inheritance that you have access to today. One of the words that he really that the holy spirit put on our hearts last week was is that one of the biggest issues with the modern concept of inheritance is is that you don't consider consider yourself a steward of it until dad dies dad has to be dead for you to be considered a steward of an inheritance that is an issue in and of itself because it is entirely built on in the context that dad has to not have any authority in it for you to have any authority in it. You see where that's an issue in the godly concept of inheritance where the, the earth and everything in it is his, but then we also have a responsibility to steward what's in it as well, where it can be wholly his and wholly ours at the same time and there's no competition in it see our modern concept of fathers and sons and inheritance is broken in its nature and it's affecting relationships between fathers and sons and sons and fathers why do you think the Hutchinson family showed up in this city preaching that the, the Lord will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers and then that the, the work of that in their family is observable in our lives the fruit of it is observable in my life. If you don't understand that, or if you don't see it, just come and spend a few days with me. Spend a few hours with me even, and you will understand that this is true. We are resolving right here in this community of people a, the broken context of what sonship, inheritance, stewardship, and everything is. Because it's not that you're on a Dave Ramsey plan and you're being as frugal as possible. Jesus, I have never spent as much money in my life as since I gave my life to Jesus. I have never been so reckless with money as whenever I gave my life to Jesus. I, 
Yo, I'm telling you, there's a different concept of inheritance today. There is something so like Jesus, so like Yeshua, and being the man who pays it all, trusting that his inheritance is worth more than anything that he could do for himself. When you become a man who receives an inheritance, you remember going through that in Luke 10 last week? Luke 10, right? Am I saying that right? Luke 15? Come on, Landon, somebody tell me. 15, thank you. In Luke 15 last week, when we read a story about the prodigal son, we learned that that story is so much more than a rebellious son coming back home. In reality, it's two sons and observing how they handled inheritance while their father was yet alive. And one of them walked into rebellion and one of them walked in a slave-like mentality where he lived in it his whole life, but he never took ownership within it. So what does it mean then as men right here in this community to be those who buy in? That's a special word that the Lord gave us for this message today is to buy in. And that sounds so carnal in our, in our society today, but we're not talking about buying in to a good preacher here. We're not talking about buying into a pastor here. We're talking about buying into your father's estate, his kingdom, his realm that is coming down to the earth and overwhelming even the wicked things on this earth today. When you buy in, you're not even bringing your own stuff. See, the funny thing is, is most of the time God asks us to give everything away up front. We empty our lives of our aspirations, our assets, our money, right? Because then you get to start working with what he gives you. Right? So whenever you are made a son in his estate and you go and you ask him for your inheritance like the sons in Luke 15, and he gives it to you. He doesn't give it to you begrudgingly. He proudly gives you as a son part, your portion in his estate. So when you buy in, you're not even buying in with your own money. You're not buying in with your own energy. You're not buying in with your own intellect or wisdom or anything. All of that stuff gets checked at the door. You are now taking his inheritance that he gave you, and you are buying into ownership in his estate. You are taking what is his and then sowing it right back into what is his. This is just recapping last week. We want to build a foundation for you guys today, especially those who weren't here last week, to really understand that a proper understanding of his inheritance is everything. We are not preaching to you an actionless kind of faith today, but rather a kind of faith that produces action accordance to the revelation of our inheritance. Last week we read a scripture to you, and we're going to read it again. It's Galatians 4, verse 6. It says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Come on, since we are sons now, how much time do we spend asking and discovering and wanting to understand what our inheritance is from the Father? We must be those who daily run to our father and ask him, is this yours? Is this yours? Is this, is this yours? Because church, the revelation that I'm coming to is that the revelation 
that the inheritance that we have received from the Father is so much bigger than what we can even see right now. There's no way, no way along this walk, along this journey with your Father that you could ever become bored in all that He has for you. That is impossible. The manifestation of boredness shows me that you have yet not start walking. Because all the Father has for you is even more beautiful than any state park in, in Texas. Any landscape in this whole earth. His inheritance is so much more beautiful than that. You know, when we started talking about the inheritance topic, I had a vision of myself going onto this piece of land. And the Father was standing next to me and he's like, everything you see is yours plus more. And then in my heart, my heart rises up in excitement because I understand that I see a lot, but I haven't yet seen all. We have to grow in expectation every day understanding that there's value in this inheritance. There's so much more value than even you could measure it to be. What does that require from you then? It requires that you're moving inside of your inheritance, inside of his estate, and in order for you to be able to see more than what you see right now, you need to move. You, gotta, you have to get moving in obedience to the things that he's shown you thus far. That's the only way you gain a greater perspective. So that requires faithful obedience to the little things that he has shown you. We're watching this happen in powerful ways right now in this church. I really admire the way that the Lord is doing this within the Hunter family. They're faithfully obedient to a few small words. And of all of the things that it could have been, it's so funny how so often God will, the Holy Spirit will all but scream in your ear on the things that you consider to be little, and he'll whisper to you the things that you consider to be the biggest thing. Because then it requires a greater measure of faith. He's like, Morgan, I got something better for you. Sell your house. You're like, uh, Brittany? <laughs> I, think, I think something's happening. But it's what happens whenever you check everything at the door and then you get to start acting more like a son who has everything that is his father's rather than a servant who's bringing your crew and all your money and all your da-da-da-da-da with you. And you're like, well, I'm showing up. A subcontractor for Jesus, for those who understand that. <laughs> Dang, that was actually pretty good. I, I, I know not many people understood that, but Hallelujah. Romans 8.16. Come on, slide guy. Put that one on there. It's Christopher, rather. I'm sorry. <laughs> Romans 8.16-17 through 17 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. It takes buying in. That word suffer there is not the same thing as martyrdom. We're not talking about your head getting chopped off jihadi style for Jesus in Saudi Arabia. That's not what the scripture is talking about. The suffering with him so that we might be glorified with him is literally just difficulty. Undergoing difficulty. 
It's the promise in Genesis whenever the curse came down on the earth in accordance to Adam and Eve's disobedience, Adam and Eve were not cursed. The land was cursed and that the land would reject the work of Adam and Eve. It said that they would, that they would grow by the sweat of their brow. Now you got to sweat for it. Now you get calluses on your hands when you do it. Now it costs you something that it did not cost before, but you are not cursed. It's just that the land is cursed. But that means that when you step on it as one blessed by God, and then you work it and you cultivate it, that means it's no longer cursed. You are bringing it into alignment with the Lord, with the Lord himself. That requires sons and daughters heirs of God with Christ in this room, you, to do the work right there with Jesus exactly the same way that he did it. It's not that he died on a cross so that we can all just go to heaven when we die if we set up prayer when we were seven years old. It is so much more than he showed you a way of life of fully buying in. And in his case, it looked like death on a cross and in his per perfection and in his righteousness, it meant salvation even for the wicked like you and me whenever he first found us. For us today, we are redeeming the earth by participating in his inheritance. I hope you understand this because this is just the intro for you today. We are recapping, making sure that when we move forward, we're not losing anybody in this. Because this is fundamentally, foundationally important to everything that we're moving forward into as a church. You're going to have to have a sense of ownership in this place for us to move forward. You're going to have to have a sense of ownership in this city for us to move forward. You cannot be a part of a crowd in this church and be in, on track with the mission and vision of what we're doing. It's going to take sons and daughters. I want to buy in. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. This week I was thinking about more that I can give because he is so worth it. Can somebody say he's worth it all? He's worth it all. We're going to resolve the doubt in this room that says anything but you're worth it all. If you in your own words could put a value on the worth of God, what would the price be? All? Anybody else got any answers? Priceless. That's the word I got this week. Immeasurable. Church, the issue with this question is that for many, with their words, they say he is worth it all. But with their actions, at best, they throw out their loose change. We have, we have to get past loose change Christianity and actually buy into the Father's inheritance. Because you have gained in Christ far more than what you could ever invest Don't fool yourself. If you are truly looking for the greatest deal of a lifetime, the Father provided one through His Son. Give all and receive all from the one who created all things. There's no better R R ROI on that. <laughs> That's true. Hey, his, his all is a lot different than your all. Think about that. The deal is at the table. Take it. It is your time right now. I was talking to dad in the car uh, last night. It's cheap. 
It's free. You can get it. You just need to repent. You just need to walk towards him. And guess what? He will give you everything you need. Why then do we throw change at God? Because we think we're worth a few cents ourselves. We do not yet value the inheritance because our investments have come out of poverty rather than generosity. The, the God, God is so generous to give, but we are so feckless in our thoughts that we give just what's in our pockets. It's not about what's in your pockets. Hence why everybody looks to the things that they have in their life to throw at God's throne. You're supposed to throw yourself at the throne of God. And you're so upset and so confused all the time because you gave up this and you gave up that, but you still feel the same. This looks really practically, church, like um, the money you have in your bank account today, right? Or the skills that maybe you have right now. Using those and giving those to Jesus and to the work that he is doing in a place is you giving him your past. It's all of the hard work you did to develop a skill. It's all of the money that you earned from hours of work or years of investment before today. Does that make sense? You are giving him your past. That is a great place to start. And we even consider that to be everything. Like, you mean you want to devote, you want me to devote my skills to him? You mean you want, like, I'm supposed to give it all and buy in with him? Yeah, that's just the asking for your past part. What about all of your aspirations for your future? What about all of your plans for your future? What about the wife that you want? What about the husband that you want? What about the children that you want? What about the timeline that you desire for it to all happen on? What about the amount of money you expect to earn? What about the timeline for the money to hit your bank account? What about the retirement plans that you had? What about... Keep going. We're talking about past, present, future buy-in that means that he doesn't just want the money in your bank account he wants the rest of your life and that's a promise on things that you don't even have access to yet because you're not even promised tomorrow you're saying lord as long as you give me another day that day's going to be yours that's a big promise to make yeah we heard a beautiful teaching on the rich young ruler the other night and basically when you look at the verbiage it says there's one thing in you go sell all that you have we read it as, go sell all that you have, man. He's so caught up in all of his stuff. No, it was the one thing inside of him that did not want to give it up. God's always searching after the heart. What we're going to make clear to you today is that I don't want you to go throw your iPhone at a brick wall after this message. Uh, I don't want you to go and... I just want what God wants for you. I want you to give up everything because he says to give up everything. The deal is on the table. Will you take it? We do not yet value the inheritance because of our investments have come out of poverty rather than generosity. This is what it looks like. I don't have enough, therefore I cannot give. Hmm. Son, your little is more than their abundance because it is actually all. Think about that for a minute. When you have plenty to give, it's not really hard to give. So I'm not asking you to give, I'm asking you to give all. For the person that has not much, it's really easy to give all. But we're so stubborn to hold on what, to what little we have. Catch that real quick. Those who consider to have little, it is easy for them to give all because it's 
It's not much. You're like, I, I don't have much, but you can have it all. But then those who have considered themselves to, be, to have much or to be worth much, it's easy for them to give a little, to give a portion, to measure it out. But it is hard for them to give all. Why do you think in that story with the rich young ruler, as it's written, he says, this is why for the rich or for the wealthy, it is difficult, right? Because the kingdom is not a measure for measure buy-in. It's an everything buy-in. But some fishermen got it, which was a big deal. But all they had to do was give their future. They didn't have any money to give Jesus. They didn't have anything to give away to the poor. They were leaving their dad's generational business. They were leaving their futures. They weren't leaving. They didn't have anything to give them. But understand how costly that is for them to lose the security of their entire future. This is what the wealthy have a hard time with, is giving away a future because you know that you could earn this, you could get that, but you're giving up that opportunity and you're trading your field for his field. We're trying really hard this morning, church, to make you understand and get out of the mindset that we're asking for money or God needs your paper and your wallet. I'm speaking of something that actually can carry out his father's will, being you. Not being lost on the ground in a Walmart parking lot. Who has bribed you to reserve something for yourself? And where has doubt creeped in? Because there's plenty of doubt left in this room. The whispering lie that he is not truly worth your investment. What we're about to get to is Luke 14. You can start turning there. And what are they doing in Luke 14, verse 25? They're counting the cost of discipleship. I'm going to be playing with you. Half of the people in this room have still not made the decision. You are still counting the cost. You're still counting your change. And what you've been doing at best is giving God your change, your spare change, and you're wondering and considering why you're not changing yourself. We all, when we entered through this door, being Christ, you remember that passage? We're required to count the cost. And God is bringing us back to into a place this morning where we have to check our pockets again. What are you holding on to? What are you still holding on to that is not reserved for the Father? And if I was really doing a good job, I'd put my face on this floor. Let's turn to Luke 14 and verse 25. You there? It says, massive crowds followed Jesus. He turned them to them and said, when you follow me as my disciple, who's a disciple? Answer, raise your hand if you're a disciple boldly. All of us. When you follow me as a disciple, you must put aside your father, your mother, your wife, your sisters, your brothers, and it will even seem as though you hate your own life. This is a very controversial passage. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, uh, NIV, ESV, all those others says hate. And it's a good word. Who seems to hate their own life? Or who, why does it, and who 
Does it look like it appears that you hate your own life? <laughs> Those who are not okay with being second in line. Think about this. Who's experienced that before? The day that you actually prioritized the kingdom is when everyone else started pointing fingers at you. Yeah. The reason being is because the ones who are hating you because of it is because they want to be first, but they don't get to be. Our love for Jesus will look like hatred to them. But it is our first step towards valuing the inheritance, counting the cost of discipleship. The reason why we're staring at a hornet's nest is because the person in which you are now putting in right priority is getting upset because they want to be first. And it's a sign that God is not first in their life. Consider even with a story like Jesus' disciples who left their father Zebedee with his boats and his fishing nets. We read from the scriptures and from all extra biblical con contextual writings that Zebedee was fully supporting what he saw happening in his sons in James and John. Think about that. Zebedee built a business his entire life so that his sons would not have to do that part of the hard work and then he hands it over to them so that they don't have to start in the same place and then that's time together for the rest of their lives Zebedee is an older man at this point he doesn't have a whole lot of life he left so he gave away his past hard work by giving away his sons he sowed his sons willingly into the work of Jesus and this is even what it looks like for moms and dads to get on board with this. This is what it looks like for moms and dads to not be the enemies of the investments of their children whenever they're buying in to Jesus' estate and to the Father's estate. Because what does it look like to them? You're telling me my field isn't good enough for you? You're telling me my estate isn't good enough for you? My money wasn't good enough for you? My business wasn't good enough for you? Dad, this had nothing to do with telling you what you did for me wasn't good enough. I'm saying that what he has is greater. And if you get on board too, you will go and sow your entire estate into his. And then we'll get to have all of what you have and all of what he has. And then we'll let him sort out all the details. Do you see how, do you see how that works though? Because it becomes a point of competition for those who actually do have something to hold on to. Verse 26. This is the price the price you'll pay to be considered one of my followers. We were talking about buying in. Friends, we can't be afraid of those anymore who won't even invest their spare change for the inheritance of God. This is holding us back in many ways. The reason why there's not a full buy-in here in this place is because most likely you're afraid of what other people are going to think of you. But you have to put in first. You have to. What is Jesus saying here? You cannot be my disciple unless you do these things. But many of us are Christians counting change still. Pulling out a calculator and considering whether you actually want to be a disciple. You're not a disciple until you do these things. I'm not calling you an unbeliever. But if you desire to walk out, buy in, go towards your father's inheritance, you have to prioritize him first before everything it's a hard word because well you know you know why because you see a lot of your things more valuable than him right now but i'm telling you he's worth it he is worth it matthew 6 33 says but seek first somebody say first, first. 
his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well what shall i do seek first and find out what this kingdom is that you have inherited and grow into his righteousness that is now yours in christ and all of life's necessities will be given to you not by way of poverty stricken lifestyle where we have to strong arm every single thing and everything's always a struggle but by his generosity that he loves to pour out freely on his people. The reason why we're not seeing supernatural provision is a lot, a lot of times because we leave a few stale crackers in the corner to eat on. We're, we're so, again, like I said before, we're, we're always searching, Lord, why aren't you providing? Because you're providing for yourself. I mean, it's just clear. But you're, but you're not a good provider because he hasn't taught you to be that way. You've taught yourself how to be a provider. Um, again, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the actual life that is life in him. Providing only comes from him. But in the buy-in, you don't need much. You just need all. Isaiah 58 verse 9 says, Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malice tongue. And check this out, verse 10. And if you spend yourselves. Spend what? Yourself. Say it with me. Spend yourselves. Not your money. On behalf of what? The hungry. And satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness. Who wants that? And your night will become like noonday. Who wants that? The Lord will guide you always. Who wants that? He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. Who needs that? And will strengthen your frame. I can keep asking. Everybody wants this, right? Amen. Check this out. And you will be like a well-watered garden. This, is with, this was the intention the entire time. I don't need you walking here every Sunday looking like a dried-out sponge in need of water. You need to come in here looking like Ni- Niagara Falls. Because, because you've been spending yourself on the behalf of the hungry. Spend yourself. Say it with me again. Spend yourself. The value of the inheritance is worth your life. You must spend yourself. Um, verse 12. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of the broken walls, restorers of the streets with dwellings. Come on, church. Who's ready to start building up the kingdom of God? Yeah. Hey. Before we'll ever do that, we must first spend ourselves. What I'm trying to encourage you this morning is that he is worth everything. He's worth your mother, your brother, your father, your sister. You must prioritize him first. We cannot waste any more time. The The value of your sonship and your inheritance is worth far more than anything that you could get on your your own. Some of you might say, I'm not a wealthy man. I don't have much to offer. 
At least Tex and I are laughing. <laughs> Keep that truck moving. And <laughs> See, <laughs> See, this is the difference with what, with what Pastor Devin's talking about. If you consider yourself to be a sponge, right, and you're worried about getting squeezed too much, then you'll never get to be a spring whose waters never fail, I'm according ready. to Isaiah 58. If you're worried about getting squeezed, then you're a sponge. Stop being a sponge. That's just weird. <laughs> be, a, be a wellspring of life. I'm, I, all of you who grew up in the Nickelodeon age, stop thinking. <laughs> I know, I know what you, I know what you hooligans are thinking. What? You, you square? What? You a sponge? You square? So, Effeminate? Some, some of you say, I'm a wealthy man, I don't have much to offer. Well, the good news for you is, is that your entire Bible is filled with the testimonies of men who gave everything, but they considered themselves to not be worth anything. They gave all that they had, which was not much, but then they gave all of their future, which was worth everything to the Father. Your Bible is filled with the stories of these men who did not start as strong, mighty, wealthy, royal, influential, or even had a good track record. But the crazy thing is that we're talking about a co-inheritance with Christ that then makes you royal, strong, wealthy, have an abundance, all of the influential, all of it. This is what happens whenever you start acting like you are co-inheriting something with Yeshua himself. 1 Samuel 16 is the first one we're going to show you today. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 is where we're going to start at. Do we have those ones? Oh, nice. Dang. Aaron's on top of it. We're going to move through these pretty quickly, so get there and say inheritance when you're there. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Samuel's a little, a little one, or I'm sorry, no, this is, uh, this, this Samuel's going after David, who's a little one at this point, or at least a young one. It says, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because, I have re- uh, because I've rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he's here. So he 
So he sent and brought him in. Now, he, our, the NASB describes him as ruddy, with beautiful eyes, and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Of all of the things, a new, the new king that's going to be the answer to all of Israel's problems, how pretty this boy is, was not going to help Israel very much. If he were a mighty warrior, if he were seven feet tall, Stacked with a booming voice and loaded money and a whole army, a personal mercenary army that he can bring in. That would be really helpful for Israel right now. Sounds like Kaysen. <laughs> He's just like Kaysen. Wow. If he was, uh, <laughs> no, no. But it says that he had, it said that it describes the color of his hair. It says that he had good eyes and that he was pretty. That's not very helpful. They need a warrior. They need a mighty king because their king just threw himself off the deep end in disobedience. But they get one who has nothing to offer in the picture. He takes care of sheep in a field. He likes playing music. And he's pretty. I don't know why y'all are talking about me. That was this dude. We, we literally have two like Disney Channel stars back here Listen. called Landon and Emily Ray. They're a living musical. Like The I greatest just, showman is literally playing on here every day. And Landon's dancing around the room with his children. I wear oversized pawpaw t-shirts and look like a hipster hillbilly. So. Do you guys see, though, that you can be a man who says, I don't have much to offer? You can be a man who says, I don't have much to offer, but you're the one that he's looking for. So stop saying you don't have anything to offer. Stop saying that your bank account's too empty. Stop saying that you're, you're not strong enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not wise enough, that you're not any whatever enough. He's looking for someone who considers everything that they have to be worthy of giving it all to him so that then for the rest of their future, everything that they receive will be to help accomplish the mission that God puts them before. The next one we're going to look at is Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. Turn there. If 1 Samuel 16 didn't answer it for you, this will, you know, this will close the deal. Say there when you are there. It says in verse 1, As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. That's buying in. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he says, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put all she had to live on. Think about that for a moment. This widow is coming up to the temple. She just wants to draw near to God. And she's saying, everything that I have to live on is so little worth compared to what I'm about to get by drawing near to him. Church, we have to have that mentality today. Everybody's in different circumstances, but what is it that you have to give? I'm, there's, I'm excited to learn what I need to give more of. Yeah. 
I'm like, after this meeting, going to go take a motorcycle ride and be like, Lord, what am I giving up today? Everybody's like, I hope he has the motorcycle. I want that motorcycle. Hey, Caleb does a great example of that. The dude gave a whole freaking Mustang to his friend. The point is, is that whether it's a car, whether it's this or that, if it isn't your heart at the end of the day, it's not the right item. We have to buy in. Who's ready to buy in? Come on, look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It says, now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 19, and he said to them, follow me, and I will make you to be fishers of men. They don't know how to be fishers of men. At best, they got a metaphorical lifestyle for it, but that's not very helpful. They got no skills, no training. For those who were coming on Tuesday nights, you learned that they did not succeed in making it through schooling in their Jewish environment, so then therefore they're out laboring. They did not meet the qualifications that society said that they had. Yeshua shows up and says, I don't care if you don't have the qualifications. I will make cause you to have every qualifications because I'm calling you. You just need to drop everything that you have and come be with me. And I will make you qualified in every single way. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them as well. Wow. I don't have much. I'm just a fisherman. I don't have much. We didn't even catch any fish today. We're living literally late to table, just putting food on the table, y'all. I mean, they didn't have anything, but... They said, whatever I have, you can have it all. Yeah. Immediately. Judges chapter 6, our last example for you on this, is Judges chapter 6, verse 11 says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, and his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it from the Midianites. He's holding on for dear life to his little portion, making sure the enemy don't get it. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. You have to also understand what he's giving up here. Gideon is about to successfully give up his entire concept, his entire perspective of who Yahweh is. What does Gideon go on to do next? He goes on to raise an army. The Lord then reduces the size of his army to just a few hundred, 300 to be precise, and then tells him to go into battle. But the historical context that Gideon is living in in that moment is God stopped doing miracles and he abandoned his people. He's not just giving up money. He didn't have money to give up. He is giving up his impoverished mindset of who God is. You've got to let go of that to go and be obedient. Even more so, it says, the Lord... 
The Lord looked at him and said, Go in this, your strength, and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? He's telling them, you might not consider yourself to be much, but go with what you have. Everything that you do have, go with it. I'm not asking you if you have enough. I'm saying what you do have, go with it. He said to the Lord, O Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? My family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Stop telling him your buy-in won't be valuable enough. Because as long as it's all, it's worth everything to him. And that's why we have to move right now in this message today from not only saying that he's worth it all, not only saying that he's worthy of everything, but to not hold back. Because that immediately word that we just read about with the disciples was a precious word that got placed right in there. Because it actually described what those disciples did. There was an immediacy to everything that they did. They did not dilly-dally on the way to doing, to living in the opportunity that Jesus put there. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 is a good example of this. Y'all turn there. Luke chapter 12, verse 32. any of y'all were hanging out in the living room at the furnace house years ago i think we got stuck in luke 12 32 for like a couple months do not be afraid little flock for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom come on wow do not be afraid it is your father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom not like a castle and walls on the earth. His entire cosmic kingdom he is giving to you to take part in, in ownership. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. How do you do that? You do the last thing that he just said. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide for yourself purses that never wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. You're tired of seeing things decay in your life? You're watching your assets dissolve in value? You're watching things deplenish? You're watching a market that everybody's scared about? Tell you what, you buy into his kingdom and your investment never, ever, ever, ever does anything but increase. Amen. Because of this, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. You want to know what you value most in life? Watch where your money goes. You want to know what you value most in life? Watch where the, your assets go. Watch where you invest yourself at. Because that is where your heart is. Now you might say, oh, well, it's a good thing that I'm doing. It's for these people and that the... Is Yeshua at the center of it every single day? Because your humanitarian deeds don't interest me nor God. I'm not asking you whether or not you do good things. I'm telling you if Yeshua himself is not in the center of it every single day, it is not the right investment. What's the next one? Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to its riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Who needs the fullness of God? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think, according to the power at work within who? To him be the glory in the church in Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Words like immeasurably, like an immeasurable amount, abundantly, and fullness are spoken from him to you, from God to you. He uses words like immeasurably, abundantly, fullness, and much, much more, and surpasses, and riches, granting, strengthened, power, these, these are all just words in this one passage in Ephesians 3. Yeah. Consider why you would turn around and give him anything less. Yeah. We're not talking about measure for measure. If he can give you everything, why can you not give him everything when it's not even one one billionth of the value of his all that he gives you? This is... A challenging word for you today, but it's not us beating you with a stick telling you you need to tithe more. I myself, church, this week had to sit with my brothers until in the wee hours of the morning sorting through that I did not like the ROI that I was getting from Jesus. I had the audacity this last week to allow enough of my flesh to come forward to say, I put these things in and I do not like what I'm getting out of it right now. Can I be transparent with you for a second? Because some people in here are like, oh, well, I'm not doing too bad. I'm not, I think I'm doing pretty well. I'm telling you, I have bought in to this kingdom. Not just remnant church. I did that before this family ever showed up here. And I had moments where I had to consciously combat regret. Where I've had to consciously combat holding myself back for future opportunities to lay myself down. Whenever you've actually bought into something, that is where the enemy starts to hit you at. It's not second guessing whether or not you should do the next thing. It's second guessing the thing that you already did. But we're telling you that it's worth doing it the first time, it's worth doing it the second time, it's worth doing it the third time, and the fourth and the fifth, and over and over and over and over again, doing it all over again. And this is the first time for some of you to do it in your life. I'm telling you, this is just the first time. He's going to ask you of it ten more times, and sometimes it gets more expensive. It's something that this time he gave you that you didn't get for yourself. You gave up all that you got for yourself. He gives you something. Now you're holding on to it. And he comes back and he's like, 
can I have that one back? I need to give it to your brother. You're like, are you serious? You just gave this to me a couple years ago. Yeah, but I, I need to give it to your brother because I got something different for you. That requires a growing trust because it's not just the stuff that your own strength built up last time. This time is actually stuff from him that you're giving up. He's going to ask you over and over again, not because he's sadistic, not because he's torturing you, not because he wants you to cut your veins open and bleed on an altar for him, because he wants you to have a trust in his inheritance that what he has is genuinely, ultimately, infinitely more valuable than anything that you could imagine if you do not value his inheritance appropriately you will make the wrong decisions every single day of your life thinking you're doing what is good but not doing what is God does that make sense we got one last passage for you we're gonna we're gonna put the nail on it right here church look at Mark chapter 14 verse 1 say there when you're there Just so y'all know, my brothers stayed up all night with me, washed me in the word, ironed out all my wrinkles, made sure that I had no spot or blemish in me by the time the night was done, and then sent me to bed. <laughs> our, our wives were out of town, and I was going to go back, and I had to be transparent with them. I had to tell them, if I go to bed right now, and I have enough time to sit there and think, I'm going to refute all of the counsel you guys have given me, and I'm going to argue with you in the privacy of my own mind, laying in that RV over there. I need to spill some more junk to you right now, because I need you to help flush this out. Yeah. Everybody's got to do it. I want to encourage you that you've got more to give. Amen? Amen. Mark 14. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to seize him by stealth, and kill him. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise they might be a right of people. While he was in Bethany, who is this? Jesus. At a home of Simon the leper, and reclining at the table, there came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly, somebody say costly, perfume of nard. And she broke the vial and poured it out over his head. But someone, uh, some, some were, yeah, ignin, <laughs> sorry, remarking to one another. <laughs> Why has this perfume been wasted? We'll just keep moving forward. For the perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding her. But Jesus said, let her alone, uh, Leave her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have, poor, uh, have the poor with you. And whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, whether the gospel is preached in the whole world what this woman has done will also be spoken of in the memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, 
who is one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. They were glad when they heard this and promised to give him money. And they began seeking to betray him at an opportune time. Those who seek opportune times for stealthy, calculated devotion are those who seek to kill Jesus. No riots, no pushback. I don't want any trouble. I don't want any ripples. I just want to slide into this next thing. People who make stealthy, calculated devotions in their life are in alignment with the nature of those who killed Jesus. There was nothing stealthy nor quiet about the entire apostolic church that breaks out at the time of Yeshua. Nothing stealthy about it. Were there times where he moved quietly from one place to another? Yes, but they, Jesus was not interested in not having an impact on everything around him because he knew that when he was put on trial for it, he could stand before man and stand before God and say, this is what my Father in heaven has given me to do, and I can stand on it. So whenever you come against me, when there are riots in the streets and there's a, an entire line of soldiers and my own people are coming to betray me, I can stand on it. Reckless devotion occurs in houses of genuine revival. If it's the sign of genuine revival and genuine healing happening in a house. They're at the house of Simon the leper. They're in a house with people who have been raised from the dead, people that have been healed of leprosy. They're in a house with a woman who, according to the other Gospels, had been a prostitute. So not only was she pouring out something of great value, how do you think she earned the money to buy that? Yeah. What do you think she was using that costly perfume for before? That'll mess with your religion completely. And she's there pouring it out on the feet of Jesus, saying, I don't have anything to offer, and the only thing I do have to offer, I bought by selling myself away. But I'm going to give it and myself to you today, yeah. and that'll be it. Yeah. And Jesus said, wherever the gospel goes, this is the story that's going to travel with it. Because I'm not asking you for something you earned by righteousness. I'm not asking for the, the work of your heart, the money from your, from your work that you're doing. I'm asking you for everything. I don't care if it's tainted. I don't care if it's dirty. I don't care where it came from. Come and bring it because I don't need your currency. I want your devotion. And a woman who had devoted herself to prostituting herself giving herself away for the affections of men. That'll make you think different about prostitution. Giving yourself away for the affections of men. Giving yourself away so that men might be pleased with you, might approve of you, might qualify you. These, and then earning your paycheck from it. This is the prostitute. This, is, this was me in the story. This might be you in the story. It might be everybody in this room in the story. And you said, this is all that I've earned in my life, and it was from selling myself out, but I'm here to sell myself out and buy in with you, Jesus. I know it might not be enough, but you didn't tell me whether or not it was enough. You said that you were enough, and then therefore I am enough. 
Can y'all stand up with us? Men, according to this passage in verse 10, where it says, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went off to the chief priest in order to betray him. And it says that they were glad that they heard this and they promised to give him money. Men who give in measures are men who trade in measures. And in this case, for betrayal. You want to live a measure for a measure life? Buy in in a measure. And you might receive a measure. But it's not how his kingdom works. Prostitutes, though, who give all are those who receive all with Yeshua because there's nothing strategic about it. It's a return of reckless love for a reckless love received. You know what it meant for a rabbi in this time to even let this woman come near him? He's standing there claiming to be Messiah, the perfect righteous one to redeem Israel and the entire earth, and a prostitute is touching him. Do you understand the context of what holiness was for the people of Israel? She was, it was reckless. It was smearing Jesus' image to have her within breathe, where they would be breathing the same air. He gave her not a measure, but a fullness of reckless love. And then she returns back to him a fullness of reckless love. She said, this is the only thing of value I have left. Come on, start thinking right now for yourself. Have you forgotten the day when his eyes first fell on you like this woman sitting at the feet of Jesus? When you knew you didn't add up, but he stood up next to you and claimed you as his own anyways. He said, you're worth everything I have to offer, Christina. He said, you're worth everything that I have to offer, Dylan Tekel, wherever you're at. What's up? He said, you're worth everything I have to offer, Morgan, Brittany, Tammy, Jay, John, Will, Mike, Pastor Mike. Every single one of you. He said, you're worth everything I have to offer. What did the father say to the rebellious son that showed back up? Everything that I have is yours. What did he say to the son who stayed, but then was angry that his little rebellious brother got everything? Everything I have is yours. He doesn't even care if you're a religious butthead judging people or if you're a rebellious one who went out and spent your money on prostitutes he said you show up and i'm going to remind you that everything i have is yours but you need to participate in it today he said you're worth everything he said you're worth everything that he has to offer and we're gonna have to be a people who aren't measuring out our next strategic portion to him Measuring it out each day. But just say, I love you, Lord. And all that I have is yours. It's all that I have to offer. You're telling me that all you have is mine. And I'm telling you that I'm returning it. And all that I have is yours. And the father looked to that discontent son. He looked to that rebellious son. 
said, all that I have is yours. A prostitute's immeasurable devotion was just declared in this story as the story, the archetype for what the gospel presents to people. Jesus had this one. Like, really? A prostitute? He said, yeah, this is the whole point right here. So I'll take my leftover portion, says somebody. I'll take over my leftover portions that I've held back, and I'll take it to his enemies, because maybe there they'll give me a good return. Maybe there my measure-for-a-measure lifestyle will work out, because they don't even need your devotion. They just need you one time to show up. They just need you one time to show up and tell you where Jesus is going to be at and at what time. They need you to show up one time and offer your soul. You ain't got to stay with them forever. Just one time. Jesus is asking you forever. He's asking you for every time. And they're asking for one time. So our question today, church, is not what do you have available in your pockets to give to them. When you live in that mentality, you will never, ever, ever, in your efforts to add up, add up. Rather, it is, why would I not give everything? His inheritance is worth it. His inheritance is worth it. His inheritance is worth it. And I had to learn this week that his inheritance is worth it. Even if it hurts, even if you're tired, even if you feel like you gave everything, he's telling me, he's telling me this week, you have more to offer. You didn't give all that you thought that you have. I'm asking you one more time to trust me. And I'm going to ask you again in 10 years, whenever you feel like everything's settled down and the rest of your life is just straight on forward, I'm going to ask you one more time, Kason. I'm going to ask you again for everything. He is worth it. He is worth it, Katie. He's worth it, John. He's worth devoting the children that you have to him now. He's worth devoting the future that you have, all of your careers, your aspirations. He's worth devoting all that you have to him. He said, everything you do, everything you leave, everything you sow into my estate, you will receive a hundredfold return. That makes you look at those kids differently. Because what you've done, Morgan and Brittany, is you just signed them up to not have to live on the outside fringes the rest of what God's doing here. You put them right in the middle. And so whenever you see something happen in them over these next 10 years, that's your hundredfold return. You might have lost some money on a house. You might have lost some money somewhere, but he, the hundredfold return is right there standing in between you. Y'all start considering in your hearts right now. Have I given it all? Jesus himself is standing with disciples who are saying, I will never, ever do anything other than give it all. And they were the same ones who didn't show up for the crucifixion. They were the same ones who went back to the same old thing that Jesus asked them to leave in the first place. I want you to consider for a minute today that maybe, 
you said, I'll give it all a few years ago, but maybe you need to again today. I'm, I'm going to take the word maybe off of that. You do need to do it again today. I know that you did it before, but we're telling you this is the word of the Lord through us to you today. You need to do it again today. You need to grab hold of your kids. You need to take a hold of your spouse. You need to stand there with your brothers and sisters on your left and your right and say, I'm devoting it all to you, Yeshua, because there is no other type of investment in your kingdom. Matthew 12, verse 30 says, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We're going to call it straight out for what it is today. It's embarrassing that some of you act like you're with the Lord and you're not. But today's your day to get on board, to begin to walk with him, to stop pretending and actually buy in. So that's what we're going to do. We're not going to raise a pinky. If you want to buy into this, come to the altar this morning.